0: Chapter 36 of The Maid of Scar. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Maid of Scar by R. D. Blackmore. Chapter 36 Under Fairer Auspices knowing now what i had to expect from parson chowne and from all his train whether clothed or naked and even perhaps from parson jack who lay beneath his thumb so much and who could thrash me properly I seized the chance of a good high tide and gave a man sixpence to help me and warped the rose of devon to a berth where she could float and swing and nobody come anigh her without a boat or a swimming bout because I knew from so many folk what a fiend I had to deal with and that his first resort for vengeance haply through his origin generally was to fire. They told me that when he condescended to do duty in either church, for two, he had, as I may have said, all the farmers took it for a call to have their ricks burned. They durst not stay away from church to save the very lives of them, nor could they leave their wives behind on account of the unclothed people. All they could hope was that no offense had come from their premises since last service the service he held just as suited his mood sometimes three months and the church door locked sometimes three sundays one after the other man woman and child demanded whenever this happened the congregation knew that the parish had displeased him and that he wanted them all in church while his boy was at the stackyards he never deigned to preach but made the prayers themselves a comedy singing them up to the clerks, Amen, and the neigh of his mare from the vestry. I cannot believe even half that I hear from the very best authority, therefore I set nothing down which may be over-colored. But the following story I know to be true, because seven people have told it to me, and not any two very different. Two or three bishops and archdeacons, or deacons of arches, I know not which at any rate high freemasons, desired to know some little more about a man in their jurisdiction eminent to that extent and equally notorious. They meant no harm at all but just to take a little feel of him, because he had come to visitation once or twice when summoned with his huntsmen and his hounds and himself in leathern breeches there must have been something amiss in this or at any rate they thought so and his lordship a bishop just appointed made up his mind to tackle him he came in a coach and four and wearing all his high canonicals and they managed somehow to get up the hill and appear at Nympton rectory then a footman struck the door with a gold stick well embossed and he struck again and he struck again more in dudgeon every time because no man had yet been seen, nor woman, on the premises. Only dogs, very wild and mad, but kept away from biting. Strike again, said his lordship, nodding under his wig with some courtesy. We must never be impatient. Jemmy, strike again, my lad. Jemmy struck a thundering stroke, and out came Mrs. Steelyard. She looked at them all, and then she said with her eyes full on the bishop's, Are you robbers or are you savages? My master is in that state, and you do this. And they all saw that she could not weep by reason of too much sorrow. It is the lord bishop, said the footman, keeping a little away from her. Excellent female, began his lordship, spreading his hands in a habit learned according to his duties. Tell your master that his Jehoshaphat wishes to see him. Mr. Jehoshaphat, she replied, you are just in time and no more, sir, how we have longed for a minister. You are just in time and no more, sir. Will you have the kindness to come this way and to step as quietly as you can? His lordship liked not the look of this being, however, a resolute man. He followed the stony woman up the staircase and into a bedroom with the window curtains three quarters drawn and here he found a pastille burning and a lot of medicine bottles and a bible on the table open and on it a pair of spectacles in the bed lay someone with a face of fire heavily blotched with bungs of black and all his body tossing with spasms and weak groaning what means this asked his lordship drawing considerably nearer to the door only the plague, said the stony woman. He was took with it yesterday. Doctor says he may last two hours more, almost. Particular if he can get anybody to take the symptoms off him. I expect to be down with it some sometime tonight, because I feel the tingling. But your Highness will stop and help us. I am damned if I will, cried the bishop, sinking both manners and dignity in the violence of alarm and he ran down the stairs at such a pace that his apron-strings burst, and he left it behind, and he jumped into the coach with his two feet foremost and slammed up the windows and ordered full speed. Then Parson Chowne rose and threw off his mask and drew back the window-curtain and sat in his hunting clothes and watched with his usual bitter smile the rapid departure of his foe, and he had the bishop's apron framed and hung it in the parsonage hall from a red deer's antlers with the name and date below, and so of that bishop he heard no more. Now a man who had beaten three bishops and all the archdeacons in the country was of course tenfold of a match for me, and when he rode down smoothly to me, as he did in a few days' time, and never touched on our little skirmish except with a sort of playful hit, so far as his hardy mind could play and riding another horse without a word about the mischief which his favorite mare had taken and demanded as a matter of justice that having quitted his service now i should pay back seven and sixpence drawn in advance for wages i was obliged to touch my hat as if i had never made stroke at his or put my knee upon him He had flogged me to such purpose that I ever must admire him, for the flick of the boatswain's lash was a tickle compared to what Chowne took out of me, and if I must tell the whole truth I was prouder of having knocked down such a wonderful man than of all my victories put together. But one of my weak and unreasonable views of life is this, that having thrashed a man I feel a great power of goodwill to him and a desire to give him quarter and the more so the less he cries for it but on the whole i was not so young after all that was said by everybody as to imagine for a moment that i had felt the last of him the very highest in the land had been compelled to yield to him as when he turned out my lord g's horses from the stabling ordered at lord g's inn Would such a man accept defeat from a crazy old mariner like me, feeling my danger and meaning never to knock under any more? I refused, as a matter of principle, to restore so much as a halfpenny, and if I understand law at all, he was bound to give me another week's wages in default of notice. However, I could not get it, and therefore am glad to quit such trifles.' From all experience it was known that this man never hurried vengeance. He knew that he was sure to get it, and he liked to dwell upon it, thus prolonging his enjoyment by the means of hope. He loved, as in the case of that unfortunate Captain Velicott, to persuade his enemies that he had forgiven, or at least forgotten them, and then to surprise them, and laugh to himself at their ignorance of his nature. So I felt pretty sure that I had some time till my life would be in danger, for, of course, he knew that my ferry business, growing in profit daily, would keep me within his reach for the present, over and above the difficulty of getting across the channel now. However, he began upon me sooner than I expected, on account perhaps of my low degree but in the meanwhile feeling sure that i could not stand worse with him than i did desiring moreover to ease my conscience and perhaps improve my income by an act of justice i crossed the river to narnton court and getting among the servants nicely sent word in to miss isabel carey that the old ferryman begged leave to see her upon business most particular for of course although in the hurry of things i may have forgotten to mention it the lovely young lady i ferried across and whose name i was thrashed so for not betraying was captain drake's sweetheart the ward of sir philip one of the most hateful things in chown was that he never did anything in the good old-fashioned manner unless it were use of the horsewhip and it now rejoiced my heart almost to be shown into a fine dark room by the side of good long passages with a footman going before me and showing legs of a quite superior order and then under my instructions boldly throwing an oaken door wide and announcing mr david llewellyn ma'am for though i had left felix farley behind from a sort of romantic bashfulness i had seen in the hall a coloured gentleman who seemed justly popular therefore i had just dropped a hint not meant to go any further concerning my risk of life and fortitude for the sake of black men and this made the women admire me for it turned out that this worthy negro stood high in the house and had saved some cash the room which i entered was large and high with an amazing number of books in it and smelling exceeding learned and there in a deep window sat the young lady with the light from the river glancing on the bright elegance of her hair And when she rose and came towards me, I felt uncommonly proud of having been even thrashed for her sake, nor did I wonder at Captain Drake's warm manner of proceeding, or at Chown's resolve to keep so jealous a watch over her. Over and above her beauty, which was no business of mine, of course, she had such pretty eyebrows and so sweet a way of looking, that a thrill went to my experienced heart, in spite of all experience— and women seemed a different thing from what I was accustomed to. Therefore I left her to begin, while I made bows and felt afraid of giving offence by gazing. She, however, put me at my ease almost directly, having such a high-bred way, so clarified and gentle that I neither could be distant nor familiar with her, only to be quite at ease, like respect and love her and this lady was only about seventeen. It is wonderful how they learn so much. I need not follow all I said, or even what she said to me, without for a moment sacrificing my true sense of dignity. I gave her to understand very mildly that I had seen something and had taken a vague sense of its import. When I chanced to be after wild ducks, also that strong attempts had been made to set me spying after her, and that I might have yielded to them but for my own lofty sense of being a victorious veteran and the way in which I was conquered by her extraordinary beauty. She seemed for a moment to doubt how far I should have touched that subject, and if I had only looked up she would have rung the bell decidedly but i bowed and kept down my eyelashes which were grey now and helped me much in paying innocent compliments to every kind of woman even in the bar of very first-rate public houses have i been pressed to take and not pay for glasses even of ancient stingo because of the way i have paid respects and looked through my shadows afterwards therefore this young lady said I hardly know what to do or say, Mr. Llewellyn. It is a strange tale. Why should any one watch me? That is more than I can say, my lady. I only know that the thing is done, and by a very wicked man indeed. And you have found it out, as ferryman, how clever of you to be sure, and how honest to come and tell me you have been a royal sailor in the royal navy man our captains are the most noble men so brave and glorious and handsome if you could only see one of them perhaps i have she said under her breath being carried away by my description as i hoped to do to her and then she came back through a shading of colours to herself and looked at me as if to say have you detected me now "'I touched my lock, and by no means seemed to have dreamed a suspicion of anything.' "'You are a most worthy man,' she said, and wonderfully straightforward. "'None but a Royal Navy sailor could have behaved so nobly, in spite of all the bribes offered you. "'No, no, no,' I cried, "'nothing to speak of, nothing to speak of. "'What is a guinea and a half a week when it touches a man's integrity?' three guineas a week you shall have at once because you have behaved so nobly and because you have fought for your country so and been left with nothing i think you said with half of your lungs quite shot away except tuppence a day to live upon one and eightpence farthing a week my lady and to be signed by a clergyman and twenty-eight miles to walk for it it vexes me so to hear such things don't tell me any more of it what is the use of having money except for the people who want it mr llewellyn you must try not to be offended i saw that there was something coming but looked very grave about it A man of my rank and mark must never be at all ready, and much less eager to lay himself under any form of trifling obligation, and thoroughly as she had won me over, I tried very hard not to be offended, while she was going to a small black desk. If she had come thence with a guinea or two, my mind was made up to do nothing more than gracefully wave it back again, and show myself hurt at such ignorance of me. But now when she came with a five-pound note such as sir philip seemed to keep in stock my duty to barty and bunny rose as upright as could be before my eyes and overpowered all selfish niceties i would not make a fuss about it lest i might hurt her feelings but placed it in my pocket with a bow of silent gratitude perhaps my face conveyed to her that it was not the money i cared for only to do what was just and right as any british sailor must when delicately handled also her confidence in me was so thoroughly sweet and delicate that i felt the whole of my heart wrapped up in saving her from her enemies We made no arrangements about it, but I went into her service bodily, being left to my own discretion, as seemed due to my skill and experience. I was to keep the ferry going because of the opportunities, as well as to lull suspicion, and always at dark I was bound to be, according to my own proposal, near the river front of the house, to watch against all wicked treachery and especially if a spy of chowns should come sneaking and skulking there whether in a boat or out of it i gladly volunteered to thrash him within an inch of his foul base life the bad man's name never passed between us and indeed i may say that the lady forbore from committing herself against anybody so that i was surprised to find such wit in one so youthful we settled between us that my duties were to begin that very day and my salary of course to run also how the lady was to let me know when wanted and i to tell her when i discovered anything suspicious and as i had been compelled to restore the parson's gun to his gunmaker miss carey led me to a place you might almost call an armoury and bade me choose any piece i liked and her own maid should place it where i could find it that same evening as though it were to shoot wild-fowl for them but she advised me on no account to have any talk with nanette or any servants of the household whether male or female not only because of the wicked reports and cruel slanders prevailing but also that it might not be known how i was to act in her interest and then having ordered me a good hot dinner in the butler's pantry as often was done for poor people she let me go once and then called me back and said Oh, nothing, and then called me again and said, looking steadily out of the window, by the by, I have quite forgotten to say that there is a boat belonging to a ship commanded by a son of Sir Philip Bamfylde, a white boat with three oars on each side, and sometimes an officer behind them. If they should happen to come up the river or to go ashore upon business here, you need not i mean you will quite understand that no harm whatever is intended to me and therefore that you may you see what i mean to be sure to be sure my lady of course i may quit my duty so long as there is a man of war's boat in the river even the boldest and worst of men would venture nothing against you then quite so she replied looking bravely round with as much of pride in her bright blue eyes as of color on her soft fresh cheeks so i made my best bow and departed chapter thirty six